Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Welcome to Starting Right, Launch Your Conservative Career. Please welcome Becky Turco, Associate Director of the Heritage Foundation's Trulux Center for Leadership Development. Well, thank you and good evening and welcome to you, uh, to our audience here in person and also to our friends joining us online from across the country. I'm curious, would you raise your hand and let me know if this is your first time at the Heritage Foundation? All right. Well, warm welcome to you guys. Um, it's really, we're really excited to have you with us tonight. Um, as you know, you're here in Washington, D.C. at a pivotal time. It's a pivotal time in your life because you're likely contemplating major life decisions about your career, wondering things like, am I here for a semester or longer? Can I afford to live here? Can I afford a hamburger here? <laughs> um, you know, are there meaningful professional opportunities available to me here? Do I have the skills to actually flourish here in DC? It's also a pivotal time in the history of our nation. And there's a limited amount of time to change the course to take us in a better direction. The country and the conservative movement need you. We need cheerful warriors willing to stand for what's right and defend freedom in our nation's capital. So why is your career success in conservative public policy essential to the future of our country? And how do you advance conservative principles while working in DC without becoming part of the problem? Well, Congressman Chip Roy, a leading conservative champion in the US House of Representatives and a former senior staffer in the US Senate will answer these questions and more. In a moment, I'm going to introduce our special guest and invite him up for a conversation about working on Capitol Hill. He works there now, of course, as an elected member of Congress, but he knows the other side of that as well from the staff perspective because he served in those roles too. As he's talking, keep track of those good questions that come to mind because we're gonna save some time at the end for you to ask those. Representative Chip Roy is a husband and father, currently serving his second term in Congress, representing the 21st Congressional District of the great state of Texas. Previously, he served as first assistant attorney general of Texas, as chief of staff to Senator Ted Cruz, as senior advisor to Texas Governor Rick Perry, as Senate Judiciary Committee staff director under Senator, under Senator John Cornyn, and as a federal prosecutor. He holds bachelor's and, master, and a master's degree from the University of Virginia, go who's, and a JD from the University of Texas. And leading our conversation with Representative Roy is my colleague, Danny Doan. Danny is Heritage's Director of Congressional Relations and has served in several roles on the Hill, including Legislative Director and Chief of Staff. So please join me in welcoming Representative Roy and Danny Doan to the stage. Just checking. Is this loud enough? Is it okay? Perfect, okay. Let me get to my notes. 
Well, I just want to say thanks again to the Congressman for joining us uh, tonight. Uh, by the way, they finished. Are you finished with votes? We did. Yeah, we finished around three or so. So most most of my colleagues are on gone, a plane but. and gone. But he knew how important this was and how important it was to speak to you and stuck around. So we really appreciate your time tonight. Um, so I'm going to start with sort of a bigger picture question just to kind of ask you generally uh, what do you see as the current landscape on Capitol Hill and kind of our nation and and I know it's a big question but just generally you know what our biggest challenges are uh, that's the opening question we're gonna be here for how long <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's that's it first of all any of you boxed out over here if you want to move back over here I'm not gonna be distracted or anything so we can see your all's uh, faces all right, whatever but um, so uh, interesting question yeah well I mean they were over here boxed out I felt bad I don't want to feel bad about picking up moving um, yeah I mean look it, I, I, could, I could talk about a whole lot of things obviously I'm a conservative obviously I have grave concerns about the direction of the country in terms of what the current administration is doing we have major crises in terms of our energy policy wide open borders the abuse of power by the FBI DOJ uh, you know IRS hiring more agents. I mean I go on and on and on about concerns if I had to boil it down I'd say two primary things are really getting me in terms of the way things are working or not working here. It is that Congress is just functionally just broken. It is not working. Uh, we have not had a vote on the floor on an amendment open in open debate in six and a half years. Meaning I, as a rank and file member of Congress, has not been able to go to the have not been able to go to the floor and offer an amendment to change something and get a vote on that in six and a half years. That's under both parties' leadership. Um, that's a problem. We had 158 members of Congress who voted by proxy, meaning they weren't present on the so-called Inflation Reduction Act in the first week of August. I got in a plane, I was on vacation, I drove to Savannah, I flew to DC, my, my family went to Atlanta, I then had to fly to Atlanta to meet them. Why? My job's to vote. But 158 of my colleagues were kicking back doing whatever. I think that's a problem. So that's one, we're broken, we're not doing what we should do to make tough decisions. The second thing is we're spending too much daggone money and it's not just debt. It's not that we're spending money that's, you know, uh, accumulating more debt and deficit spending. That's all a problem. It's that we never have to make tough choices. If all you got to do is go write a blank check if you're a Democrat for, you know, non-defense social welfare spending, or if you're a Republican to say, well, we got to pay raise for the troops and I want some more planes and boats, so I'll just write another check. Well, you never have to make a tough choice. There's never any guns and butter debate. That, that, I would distill it down to those two things fundamentally. Well, I'm glad to hear you also talking about the, the excuse me, uh, some of the policy issues that we're facing because, so uh, one of the things I did when I worked on Capitol Hill is I was an appropriations associate. And so as a staffer, one of the- So you're to blame. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> I, but um, one of the things I learned from being in the staff was that I became an expert on several of the uh, appropriation bills and spending bills. So learning these kind of uh, intricacies as a staffer made me, uh, I en ended up becoming LD and chief of staff basically because of the fact that I was able to really dig in on some core um, issues and be able to help. We were on the good side, by the way, I don't know how many of you know about appropriations, but um, earmarks, which are now back, unfortunately, have always been a big part of it. My boss was the only Republican, uh, probably only member that didn't take earmarks. So that was my claim to fame. Anyway, uh, so uh, we have a lot of people here who are thinking about working on Capitol Hill and uh, working in this kind of public policy sector. What can you say to them that convinces them that this is a great step? Um, no, I, I, I smirk a little bit because uh, I have 
a couple of interns from my office and two of my staffers here. So I'm, you know, I'm sure they've got thoughts, but, um, yeah, I look, um, you're around a lot of incredibly smart and motivated people and you have a whole lot of resources and I'm glad you're here. Heritage has a ton of resources. I can't tell you how many hours I spent here as a staffer, um, hundreds, uh, that little conference room right over here. I conspired many times to generally kill many bills, uh, cause that is my bent to generally stop most of what's happening here in town. Uh, and so, you know, but, but I learned a lot. Um, and when I came here, I came here in 2003, uh, late August, right after having graduated in law school and take the bar. And, um, I'd worked on John Cornyn's campaign. Um, I'd worked in the AG's office. He was attorney general, uh, worked on his campaign for Senate, came up here to work on the Senate judiciary committee with a guy named Jim Ho, who's now on the fifth circuit as an appellate judge. And, um, and a whole host of, of folks in the, in the Senate Judiciary Committee, staffers and, and Danny and I got to know each other during that era of, and season of our lives. Um, Ajit Pai, who was the former chairman of the uh, FCC, he and I were on that Senate Judiciary Committee together. Uh, Wendy Baig, who's now counsel to Mike Lee, we were on that Senate Judiciary Committee together. Um, William Smith, who's now chief of staff uh, in, the, in the House. Um, to Gary Palmer, he was a uh, senior lawyer for Jeff Sessions on the Senate Judiciary Committee. I keep playing this game. A lot of folks here who were here who came in as young lawyers or young staffers who are now in positions of leadership. Uh, you, you can learn a lot and you can figure out, you know, how to go affect change in this town if you work at it. If you just sit here and kind of go, oh, isn't this cool? I'm an intern and go, you know, get the free food and then go roll down and do some other stuff you know, to go have some fun. I'm for some of those things, by the way. Um, I certainly availed myself of some of those things, but, but, you know, take advantage of what you've got here. Um, and when I was a, you know, baby lawyer on the Senate judiciary, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know a lot of issues. I didn't know anything about copyright or patents and I learned it. You know, you got to go talk to experts, go figure out what it's about and then go get a law passed and, you know, then you suddenly become an expert on that issue, right? Or, you know, we were passing a crime bill and, you know, you had, I had to go dive into a bunch of criminal stuff. And, and so, you know, you suddenly become expert on things that you didn't know you were about to be an expert on. <laughs> so go do it. Plus, there's no bigger rush than having uh, either one of your boss's amendments that you wrote or watching your boss give the speech you wrote on the House floor or having even a bill that you helped uh, participate in having it passed, Right. That is true. Um, I, I just laughed. I was trying to find uh, find my staff because I rarely stick to scripts. So I'm sure they're laughing at, you know, because there, there's general applause in the office if I read a, a segment of something when I'm speaking, you know, because I tend to riff and do it, uh, you know, from my head, which gets a little dangerous and they get a little nervous about what I might say. But you're exactly right. I mean, I remember writing specific stuff for Senator Cornyn and you, you hear it read on the floor. And that's kind of cool. I mean, I wrote that or um, I mean, when Senator Cruz famously filibustered all night, we were writing a lot of stuff that day, trying to figure out how to fill time, uh, including Dr. Seuss books, but that's a different thing. But, um, you know, it, it is, it, it is an incredible, um, experience when you get a bill passed, right? Or, I mean, for me, it was actually a lot of things like, so you pass a bill, that's cool. That's law. I mean, I've done that a few times. That's neat. You know, when I, as a member of Congress going to the white house and in the pen with Donald Trump, and it was the PPP flexibility act and the heat of all the shutdowns and trying to help small businesses stay alive in Texas where we've got a lot of restaurants and live music venues where I am and trying to keep them afloat when no one's going out. Um, those were important things. Um, that's pretty cool. Um, but also it, it's the times you're sitting on the floor of the Senate as a staffer, as I was, 
and because I was only a, a staffer on the Senate side, and you're sitting back there in tense votes trying to, usually in my case as a conservative, stop something, um, and you're, you're, you're down there strategizing on what to do, right? I mean, we were down there on the floor in Arlen Specter, and we're trying to pass a you know, massive, bloated uh, asbestos trust fund bill, which I won't get in the weeds on, but it was a bad bill, terrible. And uh, we figured out a way to what's called fill the tree, which means we took over the Senate floor and they didn't see it coming. And frankly, even when I was working with Senator Corn and no slide on him, he didn't even exactly know what we were doing. I said, I said, go to this, go to the floor, file this amendment, because we knew we had the window. And he filed a second degree amendment. I'm going to nerd out on Senate procedure, but he filed a second degree amendment, filled the tree. Boom. We now control the floor. That's kind of fun. I mean, that's, you know, that's, it, that's kind of the, you know, wild, wild west stuff that gets a little fun when you actually have debate on the floor. So we talked about this a little bit earlier when we were walking in, but um, I just want to make sure it's clear. I, it is so important for members, especially members in the, the right side of the caucus to have really good conservative staff. Can you speak to that? I mean, if I had good staff, I, no, I'm just kidding. I, I, I've, got, I've got the best staff on the Hill. I'm gonna just say that straight up. Um, and I know good staff, um, having worked with staff as a chief of staff for Senator Cruz and as a lawyer on the Judiciary Committee. Um, my staff, they work around the clock and we can't do what we do without good staff. We can't. Um, I'm unique. I don't say that in a positive way, but because I was here and I, I know certain policies, it's not like I was a business guy who just decided to run for Congress and showed up and had to kind of figure the place out. I knew how this place works. So I'm a little unique that way, but it doesn't matter. You know, I know a decent amount about immigration and border security because I worked on those issues as a chief of staff and as a lawyer, but I still don't know the current lay of the land. I don't know the facts. I don't know the latest information from Border Patrol. I don't know the latest, um, you know, anecdote story. Uh, I don't have the latest information on some uh, specific issue involving energy policy, right? And so I have to rely on my staff and I'll be going down to the floor. I mean, just today, you know, we we're dealing with this, uh, you know, ridiculous Schedule F bill that the Democrats were doing to, you know, you know, we want to be able to have at-will employment. They want to be able to have bureaucrats be there and live forever without ever, ever being fired. Well, that's what their bill would do. And, I, you know, I'm racing from one meeting to another thing, had to go pitch a plan. Then I had to go to a press conference. Then I had to run to the floor. And then I had to give a speech uh, three minutes on this bill. I didn't even know what it was when I was heading to the floor. I was like, what am I talking about? And I knew it was roughly something about that. And so I had to, I'm pinging my staff going, because we got a window of time to speak. Tell me what's in the bill. Give me the quick summary. Give me the, you know, salient points, and then I'll I'll riff on it. And uh, you got to have staff that you trust who are going to tell you that, because I'm going to go say it. And and I do, don't I? <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just say it. <laughs> well, and I also think it's... Uh... It's uh, maybe it's just my personal impression um, working with Hill staff that I have over the years, but I think it's getting harder to find really good, which is why we need, why we're talking to you today and why we're trying to convince you that it's really a good a career choice. Because I think it's getting harder to find um, really good people that want to work on Capitol Hill for the right reasons and be good and conservative and strong conservative. Um, I see a lot more people interested in kind of the politics uh, of um, you know, Republican politics and working on Capitol Hill than actually policy change and being advancing policy. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, look, I think it is a function of an entire uh, evolution in labor supply right now that's going on. And I haven't even able to quite put my finger on the pulse of what's going on, COVID impacted and so forth, you know, shutting things down and then 
a lot of our supplies just kind of dried up and, you know, we're kind of looking in sort of the normal pipelines weren't exactly in place. So I'll tell you, it's a pretty good opportunity because we're trying to go find good folks. Um, but I'll also say this, I, my criteria though, you know, tends to be pretty strict. You know, I would rather not have an intern or staffer if they're not going to be someone who I know is going to work hard, who I know is going to be honest and integrity and so forth. Those are my batting order starts there. And then it's, you know, uh, are you going to be conservative? Are you going to go fight for limited government? Are you going to, uh, you know, get your hands dirty and go figure out how to fight and win this fight for me uh, and learn this stuff? And then I look at your, you know, school GPA stuff. I mean, those things for me come first. That's how that's how I've always staffed up. And, um, you know, I I just want to know if you're a good person and if you're going to work hard. And I just want to know if you're going to go fight for the things that need to be fought for. Everything else from that, I mean, you know. We'll figure it out. Um, that actually is interesting because one of the things we talk about a lot is like what people uh, look for when they hire, and it sounds like that's kind of your criteria for when you when you are interviewing people. Has that changed at all since you were chief of staff to like now that you're in Congress, or has that been pretty consistent about your? I mean, not a lot. It's been pretty consistent. I mean, it, 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 that was that grew a bit when I was uh, on a, in the Senate Judiciary Committee, and then when I was Senator Cruz's chief of staff. You know, we had to hire up 65 people, right? We had oh, yeah. K. Bailey Hutchinson had been the senator. When she left, most of her folks had already been kind of, you know, they're ready to roll. And uh, so we come in and, you know, there's two of us in December of 2012. Uh, and then we got to go staff up 63 people. Mm-hmm. Now, you got a Senate operation that's going to start on January 3rd. And you've got an entire state to represent of now 30 million, then 20, you know, 6 million people. And you got to go figure out how you're going to go respond to constituent requests for, you know, IRS, you know, on January 4th. So you got to get moving and you got to hire quickly. So we were we we had to develop a kind of how are we going to and like Senator Cruz wasn't exactly shy in his opinions. You know, he campaigned on tearing down the drapes and throwing out the silverware. So you're not just going to go hire just, oh, you're a rank and file staffer who knows, uh, you know, appropriations or knows commerce or whatever, you know, it's like, are you in for this? You know, are you, are you ready to go? And, uh, you got to go figure that out. So you start going to try to find people that will align with those values and, uh, and do the job. We used to have a gentleman here who I worked with, who he would ask every hire, um, on a scale of one to 10, how conservative, 10 being the most conservative, you know, how conservative are you? And he would never hire anyone if they didn't say 11. (laughs) So, you know, I'll tell you, I have, you know, there have been some fairly infamous interviews. I mean, I would ask lots of questions, but when I, in that time frame and the aughts, you know, I'd, I'd ask very specific questions like, how do you disagree with then President Bush, right? Or when Trump was in office, what do you disagree with President Trump about? And you got these, some interns and kind of squirming like, well, I don't know. I mean, he's the Republican president and, you know, and, um, and, and try to figure out, well, if I do disagree, which thing is going to be the right thing to say about disagreement? You know, I just want to see thought, right? I mean, I, it's a little bit of a law school training thing. I mean, I guess, but I just want to see thought. I just want to see where you're going to go. Now, don't get me wrong. There's probably a few wrong answers in there uh, when you get into certain policy choices. But in, invariably, and I'll say this also, don't be afraid of having good, honest interviews because you don't want to work in a place that you don't want to be. And you don't want to be somewhere where, you know, eventually there's not a connection. And there's been a number of times where I've interviewed somebody and I go, you know what, you're not a great fit here, but I actually think you'd be a really good fit, you know, where someone else I know is is hiring, right? Just because you kind of recognize a cultural fit. The same person I'm going to hire may or may not be all that thrilled to work for 
Senator Susan Collins or vice versa. I don't mean that as a slight. I'm just saying we're different people. We have, you know, so there are ways to kind of figure out. And, and so just just know where you're going to land and, and, um, and uh, you know, be honest about it. I like that. Um, what recommendations for those in the audience that are looking to uh, move into the policy world and move on to Capitol Hill? What kind of recommendations do you recommend? Um, I mean, I touched on some of this a little bit, but I think uh, one thing I will say that I t I'll tell I say to my staff regularly is, with all due respect to those who have come here and stayed, think about coming here and getting some good experience and go back. When I say go back, go back home, go back to the real world. Um, not to say this isn't hard work and not the real world. It is. What we do matters a lot. And there are people here who have been here and made a career here who've done great things. So if that's your path and the good Lord puts you there, great. I just always like to plant the seed with every one of my interns, every one of my staffers. Think about, you know, not, as I put it, getting trapped in the D.C. bubble. And because what we do gets awfully distant very quickly from real America. It just does. And I say that as a conservative. I say that as somebody observing um, what happens here. So, you know, uh, th there's no right exact path, right? You can right. come here and work for a year and leave. Come here and work for five years. So I was here for five years. Now, I had gone undergrad and got a master's, worked in investment banking, caddied for a buddy of mine in golf, which was fun. That was the best thing for a year. Then uh, in Hilton Head and then went to law school, was in Austin, came back up here, thought it would be a year or two, five years later. But my wife and I, we actually extracted. We purposely made a leap to not stay here. Went back, got a gig as a prosecutor. I mean, I took a 50% pay cut. Went back to go prosecute bad guys in, you know, DFW area. Then worked for Governor Perry. And then anyway, the good Lord sent me, and here I am. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of different paths. But I think it's important to return to roots as a general matter. So this is the last question I'm going to ask you. So I'm just telling you guys to be prepared, thinking through questions. Um, so um, D.C. is kind of a very strange political because of a, uh, because of the political nature of it. It's a strange environment, right? It's not like Hollywood for ugly people. They say, right? That's <laughs> well, what they're gonna say. But we have even more than that because there's this constant pressure, right? Like you could go to, um, you know, again, I did appropriations. I was a staunch, you know, conservative fiscally, and and it, they just they hammer away at you when you're there. Well, it's just this and it's just that. How do you? Uh, recommend that people stay true to these principles when they're constantly under, you know, attack, uh, you know, when, whether it's your, you know, culture, whether it's cultural issues or economic issues, you know, it's just, it's really hard to stay, um, especially on Capitol Hill, to stay true to these kind of virtues. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, Danny. I've, I've never experienced those sorts of things ever firsthand. Um, yeah. So, um, look, one, uh, always, um, be respectful in what you're doing in the fight, right? Just, just always, you know, start from the place of, I'm going to reasonably disagree, but I'm going to stand my ground or I'm going to fight for what I believe in, or I'm going to do the things that I think are right uh, on behalf of your boss, of course. But in that sort of balance that you have to do as you an individual and working for your boss. Um, but it mostly it's just, is, is wear it with a badge of honor. I mean, if you came here to change the place, okay, I came here to change the place. Then if I start finding myself wanting to do what the place is doing, well, then I'm not probably changing the place. And so I, I just wear it with a badge of honor. Again, you try to do it respectfully. You try to do it. And I don't always do that uh, as, as well as I should. And I always try to look in the mirror and have friends and say, you know, how are you doing this? But 
But again, I, my joke with my colleagues when I go, wow, you're, you know, you're fired up about that, Roy. I say, well, you know, y'all's approval rating, I say, y'all, me too, is about 18%. So if you don't like what I'm doing, then I might be on the 82% side of that equation. Like, oh, you know, well, I mean, I'm joking, but I'm kind of not, right? I mean, we're $30.5 trillion in debt. We have more laws than we should have. We have wide open borders. We have people dying from fentanyl. We have inflation skyrocketing. It's like, I think we probably need to do some changing. So just own it. Don't you think also um, that one of the tips for both members and staffers is to also have around you people that can support you? Like you have prayer breakfasts, for instance, I know. Um, I know staffers, for instance, we run programs for staffers where we try to make sure that they have other uh, people, you know, what is that iron, whatever sharpens, sharpens iron, yeah. yeah, and you know, so that there's the ability for you to have other people that can help you when things start to be, you know. Yeah, no, I I refer to them as political accountability groups, right? I mean, and it's it's kind of like for those of you who are in Bible studies, and you kind of have accountability for your your faith walk, um, and there's other obviously examples. I think it matters, right? I mean, one of the reasons I'm a part of the Freedom Caucus is not just because of aligned values or, hey, we want to go, you know, do certain things. It's because we get together every Monday night. We have dinner. We talk through things. We have fellowship. We pray together. We kind of have each other's back. And, you know, that and, and accountability It's like, oh, wait, why, why did you vote that way? And kind of hammer each other on some of those things. And uh, I think that's important, uh, you know, and, and I, I, I do think that matters a lot. When I was a staffer in the Senate, we had a really good group. I mentioned a few of the names in the Senate Judiciary Committee staff, and we had some pretty good trial trials by fire where we were trying to lead as staffers. You know, we were trying to lead our members a certain direction. Um, I think it's fairly publicly documented with a few details that I, you know, will, some of us will keep for a while. Then when the Harriet Myers nomination occurred in September of 2005, uh, and it, you guys were probably too young to remember it in, in real time, but, you know, you read it in the history books, which is how I know I'm old. Uh, you know, I mean, re- keep in mind, right, Sandra Day O'Connor had announced she was resigning. Uh, John Roberts was picked by President Bush to replace Sandra Day O'Connor. I'm sitting in uh, Southside Bar and Grill in Alexandria, Virginia, uh, having a cold beer on a Friday night, and suddenly the news is gone. I'm watching Georgia Tech football, UVA, Georgia Tech, I think. Anyway, uh, and I watched, like Labor Day weekend, I'm watching the ticker go across and, and uh, Rehnquist died. So you got this live nomination. I got Rehnquist who passed away. So Bush pulls the Roberts nomination for O'Connor, replaces it, and nominates Roberts to replace Rehnquist so they didn't have to do three confirmations. You need one for the chief justice, so he did that one. And then was going to come back and, and would fill the spot for Sandra Day O'Connor. So then I wake up a couple weeks later to my wife, like 8 a.m., saying, you're not going to believe this, but they nominated Harriet Myers. Now, with all due respect, Harriet's a very nice lady. She's a Texan. Um, it, w- it was not my view, and it was, it was a view of some other of my colleagues that it wasn't necessarily the best pick for the United States Supreme Court. So we went to work, and there was about eight of us that worked really hard together to freeze the United States Senate and say, don't, don't get out there saying you support yet sit down and have interviews because we knew the record. We'd gone through and looked at the record. And uh, and the rest is history. Sam Alito ended up being the nominee, and, and I think that's a good thing for the for the court. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to open it up to questions now. Um, so what we'll do is um, we'll uh, – people, yes, just raise your hand, and we'll also have some online. Um, I'm going to go left to right. So why don't we start back there, that gentleman. You – nope, you – yep. Did you say name and where you're from? 
Sure thing. Thanks, Congressman, for the talk. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, my name is Nico, and I'm from um, Northern Virginia. Yeah, a lot of places, but landed here. Uh, my question for you is: I talk to uh, I talk to more and more people. You know, conservatives. This is not so common in Congress, I think, as as much as it is in the younger generation of conservatives who aren't, who wouldn't really say they're for limited government. That idea is kind of becoming a little less trendy, um, and, and the idea goes: you know, we should we should we should play like the left does and and spend big and and fiscal concerns don't matter that much and kind of that's kind of the general you know vibe of that uh, of that crowd what do you say to you know younger conservatives who maybe don't care about limited government as much and and are okay with a with a pretty big government uh, go visit eastern europe <laughs> um, and i'm not kidding the people who are the best voices for freedom are the people who've experienced not freedom. And I said in a speech to the Young America's Foundation, you're never on the wrong side when you're on the side of freedom. That's what I believe. And freedom is best preserved for the limited government. And our founding, I mean, we're saying September 17th is in two days, right? Constitution Day. Um, founders signed the document, they're in Independence Hall. Franklin comes out of the Republic if you can keep it. Times, you know, Time goes on and, and things ebb and flow. And we've had times of ramping up government, down government. Um, but the principles are, you know, everlasting when the founders gave us. And when Buckley stood up in 50 whatever with National Review and said, we, our job is to stand athwart history yelling stop. When Reagan gave, gave his time for choosing speech in 1964 and then laid the foundation for the 1980s. And I would say to, you said that to some of the younger folks, you might be getting, you know, uh, trapped by the allure of big government, whatever that allure might be. Um, I, I think that that allure is actually the easy answer, right? The easy answer to solve problems is write a bill, spend money, have the government do it for you. The harder answer is, you know, personal responsibility, entrepreneurs, civil society, you know, hard work. Um, you know, from my standpoint, we are living in the blessing of the limited government fight of the 80s into the early 90s contract with America Republicans, that 20-year stretch. We're living in the result of that that has been being pushed back against by the Obama regime and everything since. We had kind of the America First Trump fight over a lot of those issues, and now our job as conservatives is to lay out a vision that marries I think a understandable populist response to a lot of the things that people are seeing. They're seeing this massive accretion of big healthcare and big tech and big corporate that is colluding in a corporate cronyist sense with government to trample on our ability to live freely. And there's a populist response to that. And we've got to marry that with our foundational principles, those limited government principles that allow us to live free. But you ain't living free if you can't send your kids to the school of your choice without worrying what a bureaucrat's going to teach them or tell them what to do. You're not living free if your borders are wide open. You're not living free if the IRS is getting empowered to come after you. You're not living free if you can't say what you want, if big tech's trampling on your beliefs. I keep going. And if we want to be the beacon for freedom for the world, we should damn well start acting like it. Thank you. We're the next one's up front. So thank you, Congressman, for coming here today. Um, I'm Kevin, and I currently go to school in D.C. Um, so you mentioned a lot about, um, you know, you were on the hiring side and what you're looking for the uh, for people to hire. And could you maybe like 
you know, maybe give some insights um, to, to, the, to when you're looking for jobs, right? What are something that you look for when you are um, looking for in a boss? Because I think that's incredibly important of, you know, maybe exactly. expectation or like how well, willing they're investing in you like after you leave and, and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, from from your standpoint, like as opposed to what am I looking for to hire? What are you looking for to be hired for? Um, you know, uh, we could talk about that a long time. I, I think my short answer would be I would never want to work for someone that I didn't believe in and that I want to go fight alongside and fight for. Um, not necessarily because of them as the person, but what they're doing. Um, side note, but relatedly, in a speech I gave a year ago in a in about a month. Rich Lowry, the you know, editor of National Review or former editor now, he's whatever his title is. Um, Rich went to the University of Virginia, class of 89. I was class of 94. We've known each other for a while. He and I went and gave a joint speech at the Young America's Foundation in Charlottesville in defense of Jefferson. Unbelievable. You got to go give a speech in defense of Jefferson at the University of Virginia, but there we were. And you know, our poster's getting torn down and all those things. But we ended up giving a nice speech, having a nice talk and a good gathering. The crux of my speech, it's online if you want to look at it, was uh, I wasn't really there to defend Jefferson the man. I didn't know him. He's been dead a while, right? Uh, I was there to defend the principles he articulated and what that meant for mankind. And that we should elevate those principles. We should uh, celebrate those principles. Uh, I say that not to go down that path as much as just to say, you know, I, I never really want to work for someone that I don't truly value who they are, what they're doing, why they're there, what they're, what they're fighting for. And I think that's kind of the starting place. And then secondly, it's like, how do they treat people? Um, you know, it's one thing to be demanding. I am, my staff would agree. Um, I am demanding my first job in, that, in investment banking. I was working like 110 hours a week. I was spending, you know, all nighters, you know, doing stuff. Um, I had to miss a lot of things to do my job, but it's one of the best, best jobs I've ever had. It taught me a lot. I demand a lot and, but demanding is one thing. Um, but then how you treat, treat people is another. And I, I hope I treat my staff well, but that's, that's, I think that's what I look at is, do you want to fight alongside and for them? And do they treat you well? Yeah, this is, she does. She, Hi. So oh, I'm Sophia. I'm from North Carolina. And um, North Carolina is a little bit like Texas in the sense that it's a red state with very blue pockets. So not all North Carolinians, like all Texans, are not the same. They don't have the same political opinions. Especially in Chapel Hill. Oh. If any of you, Carolina... Oh, my mom went to UVA, so she would agree with you. Um, when you go to fight for Texas, how do you balance fighting for a better Texas as a conservative while representing all the people of Texas and a Texas that they all want to see? Because the bottom line is there's so many issues that not all Texans will agree on. So how do you make those calls to build a better Texas? Well, that's actually a really good question. Um, of course, I only represent the 21st district. So I'm not, I'm not a Senator representing Texas, but I represent it, it, my current district pre redistricting. My district is going to change a little. I currently represent, for example, downtown and South Austin, Texas. That is not a bastion of bright red conservatism. Um, quite the opposite, uh, fun place, not very conservative. Uh, I represent San Antonio. It would be what you'd kind of call the part I represent kind of more mainline, kind of establishment Republican, if you will. And then I represent the Hill Country, Lukenbach, Texas, if you've heard of the song, Fredericksburg, Kerrville, Bernie, New Braunfels. This is bright red Texas. This is Trump country. There's still Trump flags flying when I drive through the Hill Country. 
So it's a pretty diverse um, district. It was an R plus four-ish district that ran against Wendy Davis two years ago. Um, somewhat infamous uh, race, actually. It was a $30 million race, third most expensive race in the country. Um, we ended up winning by seven points, which was actually a lot. We outperformed the president by three points. Um, and uh, I bring this up to answer your question, which is I believe you just go make the argument. I believe you go fight for what you believe in and why you were elected. Remember why the people sent you there. When I campaigned in 2018, um, I campaigned on five things. I campaigned on balancing the budget, um, what I call healthcare freedom, uh, uh, securing the border of the United States, um, giving our men and women a clear mission, the tools to carry it out and to care when they get home and then get the hell out of our way. And that's pretty much what I do now. Um, and I go say that and I try to give the same speech everywhere I go. I give the same speech to South Austin leftists and to hardcore conservatives in the whole country. But I'll say one last point on that. We live in a republic. We don't live in a democracy. My job isn't to represent all 750,000 at any given moment, uh, meaning every, everything that one individual believes. I am the one representative for those 750,000, so I have to balance all of that and, yes, reflect what I think they want, but also what I know I should do on their behalf. That, for example, is what governed my thinking, whether you agree with me or not, on January 6th. Like, I did not object to the electors. I, my read of the Constitution was that it was my job to count the electors. I stood up and said that. My base did not love that. I spent a number of days after that going around the Hill Country. I actually waited a month, let kind of things cool off a little bit. Then I, I went out and met with folks, and I had one meeting in Kerrville with, with my core supporters. The people had knocked doors, made phone calls, you know, done all the hard work. And when I say that, I mean, these are human beings I've gotten to know who they, they work hard for you. And they were mad, and they screamed at me for four hours. We sat in Buzzy's Barbecue in the back room, and they yelled at me. And my job was to listen to them because I'm their representative. But my job was also to tell them I'm your representative in a republic, I believe this was my constitutional duty. You don't want Kamala Harris changing the rules and deciding how she's going to count electors. And I made my case because that's what you do in a republic. I'll take one more question over on this side. Huh? I'll, let you I'll take dozens of questions, but whatever. Um, I don't know. How, am I gonna, how can I pick? I'm gonna say, all right, back in the back, back right over there. Yeah, which are, you pick one back there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much for coming out to speak with us today. Uh, my name is AJ DeGrado. I'm a senior at Georgetown University. And one thing I'm curious about is we spoke about character earlier today. And when you're looking to hire someone, um, how do you choose someone that matches your character in the sense that they're really trying to like get after it and match your energy? And is that something you instill upon others or is that something you kind of discover in them? I mean, that's a great question from your all's perspective. I mean, I think, um, you know, look, I, I, I try to look, uh, especially when I'm hiring staff. I mean, I, 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 I get involved with the intern hires, but, not, you know, not as explicitly when they're going through all this stuff until we get, you know, the candidates that are recommended to me. And I look and see what I think. But, you know, I'm, I have a hand in hiring every staffer um, actively engaging in that because I want to know what makes them tick. I want to know why they're here on the Hill. Um, I want to know if they're in it for the right reasons. Um, 
and, you know, to me, there are just tells when you look at somebody on paper and or in person, like what motivates that person, right? And there's, I don't think there's a magic there. It's a little bit art. But when I see somebody and I see that they're devoted to a cause and they've engaged in it and fought for it and spent time in it, I'm interested, right? If I see that they were highly involved in church or in a local civic organization, uh, not just checking boxes of like, look at me and what I did with my, I had this picture with this guy and this senator and I went and did that. I mean, that's, that's all fine. But who are you, right? I want to know. You know, are, what what makes you tick? Why are you who you are? And therefore, we're here and we're in this together and we're fighting for the same thing. Um, that's what I look for. And so I try to look for people who have shown devotion to something real. Right. And invested in it. Um, that way, I know that when they get here and they're, they're, they'll be devoted, they'll be invested in it and they'll fight for it. Um, that's how I do it. Do you, are, are you sure? Are you I okay? Have plenty of time. I'm okay, good. okay. Online okay, let's have one online question then. This questioner asks Like most political science majors, I'm considering law school. I also want to work in the conservative movement and even on Capitol Hill. How can conservative lawyers make a difference on the Hill and in the conservative movement? Uh, so, first of all, let me address the consider law school uh, question. Um, <laughs> I joked over here. I went like this when I was at law school. Um, I went to law school, right? I, easy for me to say. Uh, law school is in no way, shape, or form a prerequisite for being on the Hill, engaging in public policy, and so forth. I actually generally would encourage people, if you're going to go to law school, go there because you want to go practice law, right? It's an enormous amount of time, debt, and, and investment. So, you know, don't do it just to go, well, that's something fun to do. And then I'll go work on the Hill and I've got $160,000 in debt. And, you know, don't worry, you know, Joe Biden will forgive it all. It's all fine. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, it's not a prerequisite. So if you're going to go to law school, go because you want to go practice law. But if you are in law school, if you're already a lawyer and you're a conservative lawyer, um, you know, there's tons of things that you can do here. And I mean, Heritage is going to have a whole lot of resources to, you know, talk about here, here we are. The, you know, like I said, Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, House Judiciary Committee, on which I now serve as a, as a member, uh, we've got really good lawyers and we have to go dive through and do really important things, uh, especially, Lord willing, if we're in the majority, right? And you're drafting bills and, right, you've got to have smart lawyers. You can go dive through and solve these problems. And there are so many things right now that need to be done. And there are a lot of conservative uh, legal organizations that are in the fight every day right now. Conservatives took a while to warm up to the fight that you need to be out there suing. And, and you need, you know, not only attorney offices of attorney generals throughout the, the, the nation engaged in fighting and arguing. Um, and I did that when I was in the AG's office in Texas. But you've now got organizations that have long time existed, like the ADFs of the world or the First Liberties of the world on religious liberty and those kinds of things. But also now on other things, right, getting out and, you know, uh, you know, defending people who are uh, their free speech rights are being violated. You got students who are getting, you know, trampled on in universities and We've got to be active in defending our our uh, Bill of Rights, our, our our first principles, and and we need we need an army of conservative lawyers being willing to go get in the fight and go defend people and go you know uh, take the fight to the left, and, and especially the, the bureaucracy, right? I mean, go challenge the bureaucracy that's trampling people. I agree. Uh, let's take you here. Hi there. Thank you for coming out tonight. I appreciate it. Um, my question is, could you speak to a professional mistake 
or regret that you have and what you learned from it? Um, yeah, I mean, look, uh, there are infinite, um, you know, uh, it's, it's really what you learn from them. I consider and kind of go through them. Um, you know, there's from the trivial to not getting my job done on time as a Senate judiciary lawyer and not being prepared for committee hearings or some examples like that. Those to me are trivial now. They weren't trivial at that exact moment. Um, you know, ask me what my biggest, like, I don't really believe in regrets. You end up where you are and you, you know, you learn from it. Right. Um, but I kind of pose the question this way, not viewing it as a regret, but what do I teach my son and daughter? Um, I mean, I can tell you, I wish I'd worn the uniform of the armed forces. I wish I'd served. Um, I think that's important. Um, and now I always have to answer that question. No. <laughs> and, uh, I wish I didn't have to do that. Um, more, I guess, you know, relatably, you know, look, there are times when if you're in heated debate and you're getting hot and you, 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 you get out there over your skis and you say things you wish you hadn't have said, because at the end of the day, all of this is relational. And, you know, uh, the question is, who are you relating to? So, for example, for me, I am constantly balancing my relationships with my colleagues, a large number of whom I don't agree with, even on both sides of the aisle, about what we're doing every day here, with my relationship with my constituents slash people trying to mobilize in terms of the inside-outside game to accomplish our objective as conservatives, right? That's the dance. So if I'm going out hot to go talk to my constituents directly to camera, I go on Tucker or I go on the floor or I'm in the House Judiciary Committee yesterday just railing away, that's great to get your message out and to cut through the noise. It may or may not be great one-on-one -on -one with one of your colleagues. So you have to balance that. And I don't always get it right. And, you know, sometimes I've had to kind of look back. You know, I had, I had a situation this summer where I was doing an interview uh, I've forgotten I've done it because I've done so many interviews uh, with the Wall Street Journal, and I was asked a question about the commitment to America that's about to come out, and I said something a little more negative than I probably wanted to be out there in the public domain. Um, I was driving around Texas, going from one event to another, and they asked me, and I kind of gave a, you know, I was on the record, and you know, and then that then that comes back, right? Then it's it's being tweeted by the DNC, Chip Roy saying something negative about the commitment. Well, the commitment's not even out yet. And look, we're all going to rally around a whole lot of things that we want to do, um, whether I think the commitment could be better or worse. My point is you just have to be careful and be thoughtful about what you say. But to me, regrets is about relationships. But... Uh, let's see where we are. Um, okay, you can go. But can you wait for the microphone? And then we'll take one more question after that. And then. Hey, my name is Luris Ayole. Um Actually, the reason why I wanted to talk is because I am from Albania and we suffered 50 years communism. So uh, from one to 10, I am 11, conservative. And uh, that's why I moved in the USA because um, things in, the, uh, in Albania are going worse right now. Um, it's a liberal agenda going on and uh, we don't have an opposition. So it doesn't make a difference to be involved in there. I have been working uh, for the Ministry of Defense as a spokesperson over there, and it was like a big step to move over here. But uh, the, the thing that I'm seeing over here is uh, that uh, liberals have all their connections in Capitol Hill, and um, they help each other. And what I have seen in job descriptions for from conservatives is like um, 
uh, you must have three years at capital. If nobody gives you the opportunity to work in there, how you will get in there? Well, there's a lot in, in, in all of that. Let me first just say, glad to have you here. Um, reiterating my point earlier, um, Eastern Europeans get it. There are a few folks around the world that also get it. But one of my best supporters is a woman who's a doctor in the Dallas-Fort Worth area who uh, is from Eastern Europe. And um, she is apoplectic about the state of our current healthcare system and how we're trampling on the ability of individual Americans to go to the doctor of his or her choice without having to go to an insurance company and a bureaucrat to tell them what to do. And that's what we're doing. Side note, ran on healthcare. Uh, everybody goes, oh, you're in Congress. You get all these wonderful benefits. You get your salary for life. No, we don't. Uh, you get, uh, you know, health care that's just the best, you know, plan. no, we don't. I'm on a, I, when I came to Congress, I was put on Obamacare. Um, by being placed on Obamacare, the treatment I got at MD Anderson to fight Hodgkin's lymphoma 11 years ago and get through that successfully, I would not be able to go back to MD Anderson today under the Obamacare plan I would have had as a member of the United States Congress. That is Obamacare. That is what coverage looks like. We as conservatives ought to be just trumpeting from the mountaintops that we are for health care that every American can access, going to the doctor of his or her choice, not having to go check with an insurance company, while insurance rates are going up 24%, while you pay $22,500, average family for, to have a $7,500 deductible and not be able to get health care. Why aren't we championing that, right? We should go out and fight for those things. To your question about, you know, how do you, I think the question was really boiling down to like, how do you crack in? And I would just say a little bit back to the question I gave before, it depends on who you're interviewing with, right? If somebody looks at me and says, you must have three years of fill in the blank, tell them why. Like, just say, what do you mean? Right? Like, I'm here and I offer this and I want to work for you, right? I'm listening. Okay. And a lot of members would be like, I would say, okay, wait, wait, who are you? And why are you here? And you're listening, you know, that's an interesting story. Um, I don't accept parameters. That's my, that's my view. Okay. I don't really put on parameters for the most part when I'm on the hiring side. And if I'm this way, if people are putting a whole lot of parameters in there, I don't know that I want to work for them. I was going to be with all due respect, if there's any parameters on any jobs here at Heritage, I don't mean, but I'm, I'm just saying <laughs> there has to be some parameters. I get it. Right. I mean, I can't hire a lawyer who didn't go to law school. Okay. I mean, it, you're not going to hire somebody to be your defense expert if you're uh, on the you know Senate Armed Services Committee if that person literally knows nothing about defense, right? So there are parameters. I'm just saying I just generally when I'm looking for a job, I'm not going to be limited by whatever they tell me I have to be limited by. Uh, I'm going to go sell myself and um, you know and yeah, go find the the way to go get whatever that basic level step is to get in the door. But my experience is, is once you get in the door, if you outwork anybody, you're going to win. Because I promise you, you see it quickly. I've seen it over the years. Staffers, smart staffers I like who do a generally competent job. Now add to it the ones that would differentiate from that group are the ones who are there till 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. They're working harder. They're showing up on Saturdays. They're answering the calls. They're responding. They see a news headline. They're being proactive. They're engaging. They're they're, they're going to be the ones that win. They're going to be the ones that I'm, I'm wanting to rely on. Okay, this really is the last question, and we'll have it from over here. Um, I'm sorry, you in the front then. Wait, did you already ask a question? No, you didn't. Oh, okay, sorry. 
that area looks familiar. Thank you, Congressman Roy, for coming to speak with us. My name is Ian Cruz. I'm from the Woodlands, Texas. Let's go, Texas. And my question is, how do you compare working on Capitol Hill here in D.C. versus the state government in Austin? Would you say that Capitol Hill is easier to navigate, harder to navigate, and what are the issue areas that really distinguish being state-wide level versus the federal level? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, I never actually worked technically in the state ledge, although I did work as a senior advisor to Governor Perry, so I, my office was in the Capitol uh, through one legislative session. Um, and, and I've been on the Hill many more years than that. But um, look, obviously the biggest differentiating factor is um, the, the, the issue set, right? Um, you know, and, and the, the, this is the good news, right? Back to the question about, you know, limited government or not that we had over here. Um, the good news is the Republic still functions in a lot of the ways that the founders gave it to us to function, right? Your state and local questions are still predominantly state and local, notwithstanding the meddling by federal government, notwithstanding all the federal funds, notwithstanding all the concerns we have and the failures of, of Washington, um, and, and it, frankly, a lot of failures of some of the states and local governments. Still, if you want to go deal with your schools, you're largely going to your local school boards, you're going to your local you know, county commissioners, you're going to the local mayors. If you want to deal with streets, it's the local mayors. If you're dealing with the police, it's mostly local. Um, and, you know, it's, I always joke, it's like running for Congress is a lot easier than running for county commissioner or county judge in Texas when you're trying, you're in charge of like, you know, like, like talking about like fights over trees and like dogs and, you know, cops and security and schools. It's like, man, that's, that's the hard stuff. Um, so that's not hundred percent answering your question, except they're just very different subject matters. Also Texas, obviously it's, you know, every other year for, you know, four months. Um, and, you know, here we're nonstop. Uh, in a negative way, in my opinion, I, I, I don't think we should be nonstop, but we are in the, these days incredibly, you know, perpetually nonstop. Um, but look, I, th there are pros and cons to both. Um, I am a believer in federalism. I, I still remain a believer very much in borderline radical federalism. Uh, I think the only truly way to save this republic, and I do believe it still needs saving, is to stop spending money we don't have to fund the very tyranny of bureaucracy that's going after us every single day. So stop doing that. That's on us here. And agree to disagree, state by state, local by location by location. Stop telling each other what to do. And that takes some tough choices and tough decisions. I had a colleague today, one of my close friends, pushing a bill, I won't specify which one, uh, about, against a policy that everyone in this room, I'm pretty sure would all agree, is a terrible policy and should be outlawed and should be a problem. But I don't see the police power under the Constitution of the United States. I don't see how it is something that the federal government should be doing. Um, that poses tough questions. There are reasonable questions right now about what we should be doing with respect to abortion. Right? I am strongly pro-life. I'm not going to make news here about any positions, about a particular federal bill or not. All I'm saying is just look at National Review today and the disagreement among the editors, Ramesh Panuru and Rich and a lot of my dear friends saying, absolutely, we should have a federal cap. And my very good friend, Andy McCarthy and a smart lawyer saying, not sure this is a federal deal. That's right there in National Review, right? So there's going to be some divides there. So where things get decided matters a lot. I'm a radical federalism guy, so I'm just saying to answer your question, like I just want states to stand up and fight. God bless Ron DeSantis. Uh, God bless Governor Abbott sending some of these people to the doorstep of Kamala Harris. Um, these are all important things to do to stand up in defense of your people.
You're the governor? Fight. And so I want state legislatures and local governments to, to stand up and fight. Well, thank you so much for your generous time tonight. My we really appreciate it. So thank you, and we are going to turn it now to Becky Turco. Excellent. Let's give them another round of applause. You guys can make your exit, but we're so grateful. So, so grateful, thank you. Well, and as you heard Representative Roy, it is critical that conservatives consider Capitol Hill as a professional opportunity. Maybe not forever, go back home, right? Eventually, but, um, a new Congress is coming. This is no surprise to anyone here. New members in the House and Senate, and we'll need to hire staff immediately after the election, as he said. Current offices are gonna shift, staff are gonna take other roles, there's gonna be a lot of churn and, and new opportunities. So if you're interested in working on the Hill, this is your moment. Heritage has three resources available right now to help equip you for that particular career move. So I just wanna let you know about those three and then we'll have dessert on the roof. The first resource is a training program called Ready, Set, Hill. This is a two-day class, and you'll learn practical skills you need to be successful in a Hill office. You'll also learn things that will make you a more competitive candidate for that role. Think of it as Capitol Hill 101. It's being offered next week, and then again in October. Both sessions will be available in person and online. And Ross, can you wave at us? There's Ross right there. Ross manages this program and would be delighted to talk to you, to get you registered or answered any questions that you have about that. The second resource I wanna mention is our job bank, which exists for the express purpose of helping conservatives find jobs and internships in the movement. So during the registration process for this event, many of you actually submitted your resumes to the job bank, and that's fantastic. Um, the good news is that if you didn't submit your resume, it's not too late to do so. Um, Kyle and Caitlin, where are you guys? There's Kyle and Caitlin over there. Um, they are proactive on your behalf and eager to help you advance in your career. So I highly encourage you to chat with Kyle and Caitlin. Introduce yourself to them if you haven't already before you leave tonight. The third and final resource I wanted to mention is our internship program. Alex, where is Alex? Hey, Alex. <laughs> Alex would be happy to talk with you about what an internship at Heritage looks like and how that experience can then serve as an excellent launch pad over onto the hill. So Ross, Kyle, Caitlin, and Alex will actually all stick around here, uh, right here before going up to dessert. So if you wanna make sure that you connect with them, you can connect with them right here and say hello. Um, you can get also, uh, also get more information about all of these things that I've just mentioned at our Heritage table, which is in the lobby. So on your way out, make sure you pass by the table and grab that literature. To our online audience, thanks for joining us and have a wonderful evening.